Well, welcome back to our Genesis series called The Stuff You Were Still Wondering About. I'm Lee Brubaker, welcoming you back again, and my friends, Pastors Josh and Matt are here, and uh, we're just thrilled to be back again, but this time talking a little bit about the flood. Now, you know the flood is one of the most iconic stories in the entire Bible. Probably when you had children, your nursery for your baby had some form of Noah's Ark motif in oh, the room. Yes. All kinds of babies. Our son like was that. named Noah. So there he had go. all kinds of it. There <laughs> you go. Yeah. There you go. Uh, you know, you've probably read the articles like I have or seen them. Noah's Ark has been found, finally. Well, yes. that article's been swirling for generations already. Mm -hmm. Is it true? I don't know if any of you know. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. But who knows? Maybe it's true. But still, it's an iconic story that everybody's interested in about. Interested about. In fact, Hollywood picks it up. Uh, you remember the movie called Noah? Russell Crowe, mm -hmm. the rock monsters, crazy stuff that Hollywood did with that. Mm -hmm. Evan Almighty, that's a very funny take on the Noah story. That's good. Oh yes, Steve Carell. So these movies and so many more, they, they give us an idea perhaps of some ways of reading between the lines of the text, uh, but we want to look at what the Bible actually says and make sure that we're yeah. going back to the Word of God. Yeah. Although, I got to tell you, don't you guys like this picture? <laughs> I think that was true about Noah's Ark and the woodpecker. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Woodpecker drives me nuts on yeah. my property with my trees, but I don't know if he <laughs> burned through the ark like that. Noah's nemesis. It's uh, Genesis 53. I'm just oh, kidding. It's not good. in there. It's not in there. It's not in there. So here's the first question. People might be wondering, was the flood in Noah's day a literal global flood? Hmm. Josh, you want to tackle that one? Yeah, happy to. Uh, I think we've got to look at that question and say, if we are going to trust the scriptural account is true, and we do, then the answer has to be yes. Mm. It really doesn't leave us any room for something otherwise. It actually goes out of its way to three times over make the point so that it's abundantly clear to us. Let, let me read from uh, Genesis chapter 7. Uh, verse 18, it says, The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth, and listen, all the high mountains under the entire heavens were mm. covered. No room for anything there then that wasn't. It goes on further. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 20 feet. Yeah. And then it goes on from there to express again three times over how those waters wiped out everything. It says, every living thing that moved on the earth perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. Men and animals and the creatures that moved along the ground and the birds of the air were wiped from the earth, only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. So, I mean, I don't think scripture could work much harder mm. to make it clear to us. It was a global flood that swallowed up the highest mountains mm -hmm. to a depth of more than 20 feet so that every living thing that moved along the ground and had the breath of, or in the air, had the breath of life in its nostrils, died everything except for Noah and those with him in the ark. Mm. I always wondered where all that water came from. Hmm. And so Genesis 7, 12 says, On that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth. Yes. 
and the floodgates of the heavens were opened mm -hmm. and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. I mean, we don't know that kind of water on earth right now mm -hmm. to cover the entire planet. Where did all that water come from? And then where did it go afterward? I was actually looking at this recently and I found an article uh, from a few different sources that's been circulating very recently that scientists have apparently found, geologists have found what they're calling an ocean beneath the Earth's crust, 400 miles down. And here's what the scientists say. If they found that water is stored inside the mantle rock in a unique state, which is not a liquid, solid, or gas. It's some kind of fourth state. And hmm. they call it ringwoodite. So it somehow allows it to attract hydrogen and trap the water inside that, whatever that rock formation is. Uh, but they're saying that there's enough water there's more water underneath the Earth's, Earth's surface than all the water on top of the Earth. Wow. All Incredible. The Incredible. Incredible. So yeah. maybe there's a way of thinking that, well, maybe that's where the water went. What did God do? Just come with his hands and squeeze the Earth and out came the water? <laughs> I don't know. But mm. it's interesting to see that maybe science is now giving a little explanation of where all that water went. Yeah. It's great. I think there's a couple things that come out of that for me. One... Uh, as Christians, we don't have to be all tripped up by this idea of, is there enough water on the planet right now that God could have caused this global flood? Yeah. And it, be, because we believe in a all-powerful, sovereign God who works in miraculous ways. Yeah. If we don't believe in that, we have no hope. Because if we don't believe in that, Jesus couldn't be raised from the dead. That's right. And we have no sure and certain hope of a bodily resurrection. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And so we do have our resurrection hope. And we do know that we serve a God who works in miraculous ways. Mm -hmm. If he needed to create the water out of nothing, he created the whole universe out of nothing. That's right. In six days, so he can create the water out of nothing if he wants and make it go back to nothing if he wants. We don't yeah. need to get tripped up about that. Yeah. However, it's fascinating how as science continues to progress in its understanding of, of this incredible universe God has mm -hmm. made, it seems to often discover things that say, aha, this new yeah. understanding actually authenticates That's right. what God has said to us. And so here you've got this water. You, you say, perhaps what they taught us in school wasn't right, that water has to exist in three forms. All of a sudden they're saying there might Maybe be a, four a fourth form. What was it called? Uh, ringwoodite. Ringwoodite. We yeah. were joking before about how that sounds like an illness you might catch. You go away to camp, you come home, <laughs> you got ringwoodite, they've got to put a cream on you, and then it goes away. Uh, that's ringworm. Uh, oh, gotcha, oh, right, gotcha. Right, right. That's okay. Right. Well, ringwoodite is the unknown fourth okay. type of ringworm. Uh, but, uh, but you say, isn't that amazing? Yeah. Like, perhaps there is yeah. a fourth state that water can exist in, and so we find these even potential for natural explanations for this incredible thing that God mm -hmm. makes yeah. clear to us, He did. He did it. He did it. All yeah. the while, the I think the point that you're making that's like so important for us, especially as we read these first eleven chapters of Genesis, mm -hmm. is that like the point of the text is is always the point of the text. The questions that are being answered are the questions that we should be asking, and so often we mm. are moved to ask the wrong questions. The point is to show us the great power of God, that he is the creator of all things. And as you and I read the text, that's what's supposed to be so clear to us. Yeah. The, the power of God, the holiness of God, the compassion of God for his people. Hmm. And uh, it, it's so good anytime these sorts of questions arise in our minds to remember what we know is true about who God is hmm. and how he relates to us and his world. Hmm. So here's a question that 
uh, is a secondary question, as mm. you say, yeah, yeah. but a lot of people want to know, uh, could they actually fit all the animals on one boat? Hmm. And furthermore, what about the dinosaurs? Ooh. Like you fit two, the biggest of all animals. You fit two of the brontosaurus <laughs> yeah. onto there, brontosaurus, and maybe that's like the entire ark with two animals. So, yeah, you got any ideas there, Matt? Just like a train of arcs. No, uh, <laughs> no, just one. I think it's a good a good question. Like to consider the dinosaurs, especially because of the capacity issue. Uh, we would have to say because of what Scripture tells us that every two of every kind are on the ark. Yeah. And so you would have to assume that if there are still dinosaurs at this point of history, mm-hmm. that they would be on the ark. Mm-hmm. I think that you could posit a few different ways to get them on the ark, whether they're like eggs or really small versions, yeah, like babies. younglings. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's fine. And then I think that you do have reason in Scripture to come across some animals, some descriptions of animals in Scripture, and think that seems a lot like what we would typically think of dinosaur-like, right? Mm-hmm. So if you read in Job 40 and 41, you see something called behemoth that has a very strong tail, eats grass, uh, seems very much like a herbivore dinosaur, maybe, right? Mm-hmm. Strong maybe. Uh, then you read about something that seems almost like a crocodile in Job 41, Leviathan, mm-hmm. uh, with some extra capabilities uh, that, that are quite bizarre. But even a crocodile, would seem somewhat like a dinosaur, right? So we do have like humans interacting with creatures that you and I uh, might not be as familiar with and uh, end up being used especially to describe uh, really like chaotic evil and um, sort of get picked up as a symbol throughout scripture. Hmm. Yes, Job 41, 18. His snorting throws out flashes of light. His eyes are like the rays of dawn. You almost wonder if that's sort of like a dragon or something, don't you? Hmm. Firebrands stream from his mouth. Sparks of fire shoot out. Yeah. It's so interesting. Again, yeah. these are the descriptions. The mysteries. Yeah, these are the descriptions of like the great dragon Satan, right? So yes. you can see how this sort of imagery gets picked up hmm. and used uh, throughout, throughout scripture. Yeah. By the way, just like the fallacy that people say, oh, it was an apple in the Garden of Eden. Well, it was a fruit. Bible doesn't say it was an apple. Mm-hmm. Also a bit of a fallacy that a lot of people think it was only two of every animal. Right. Oh, yeah. Like all of the ceremonial There was animals. more. There was yeah. more. Yeah. The end of, of Genesis 6 talks about you are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for the animals. Mm. So and lots seven of, of every clean kind. Yeah. And the next chapter yeah. talks about seven of every clean yeah. kind of animal. Yeah. yeah. And so there was a lot of, a lot of varmints. On that boat. There's a lot going on. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Let's talk a little bit about the, the thematic implications of the flood. We've talked a lot about the physicality of it, but mm-hmm. there's, there's some really great typology in the story of the flood. Typology just being it, it's a picture of something that is to come further on in history. And the Bible is full of that. Um, Adam is a type. Christ, you know, is the fulfillment of so many types that came before him in the scriptures. Uh, but what about the ark itself? Is it a type? Do we see that motif later in scripture? Yeah, it's, I mean, that word ark is the same word that's used for the basket hmm. that that Moses is put in. Right. Put in the water to deliver him from this annihilation of all of these baby boys. And so we, we see sort of a, a type there. And then, of course, it's the same word ark that we 
have for the Ark of the Covenant, Covenant. this lasting symbol of God's presence with his people. And so, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah, you also have like all of the symbolism of water and mm-hmm. wind mm-hmm. that gets picked mm-hmm. up from Genesis 1, right? God separating the waters, his spirit hovering over the waters in Genesis mm-hmm. 1. And then here uh, you have God saying, after remembering Noah, his, his breath or spirit comes over the land and separates the waters, sort of like recreating the yep. earth for Noah and his family. That comes right after the turning point, right? God, but God remembered Noah, and yeah. then it goes on that uh, God began to cause this. this and wind to blow. again, this is what God does with Israel coming out of Egypt through the mm. Red Sea. He parts the sea so that they can walk through on yeah. dry land. Yeah. In some ways, this is what God does with us in water baptism by His Spirit, uh, bringing us to new life. Thinking of baptism is like the whole of the salvation experience. Yeah. Uh, this is like God bringing us from death to life, or a redemptive moment. This is why I think uh, the Apostle Peter in First Peter talks about yeah. Noah, and then explicitly right after that says baptism, baptism saves you. Speaking of the entirety of the salvation experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Genesis, water is chaos. Yeah. Right? The flood, water is chaos. Yeah. And at the very end of the Bible in Revelation 22, 21, it says there's no yeah. more sea. Yeah. So the, yeah. the culmination, the glorification of all of what we know in salvation is no more chaos. Yeah. 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 God continuously takes these life-robbing forces on the earth, right? The water in Genesis 1, uh, the Red Sea, as you say, Matt, uh, the crossing of the Jordan River, mm-hmm. the disciples in the boat right. when the storm comes up. And, and he demonstrates there. his sovereignty over yeah. those things, uh, bringing life mm. into the midst of what is seems to us to be life-robbing, mm. but then simultaneously using water that we would be so afraid of the depths of water anyway in these redemptive ways. Mm-hmm. As we talk about its symbolism and baptism and our washing. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. so uh, we see something incredible there about who our God is as uh, he interacts with water and all that it represents. Yeah. There's another very strong theme that begins strongly in the, the story of Noah and that is covenant. Yeah. There's some hints of that in the early part of Genesis with Adam and Eve, but it's first spoken, isn't it? Yep. To yeah. Noah. There's a covenant there. Uh, what do we see there, and what does that speak to later generations of God's working with his people? Yeah, that, that first reference in Genesis 6, 18, but I will establish my covenant with you, God says to Noah, and, with, uh, and you will enter the ark, and it goes on from there. That is the first biblical use of that word covenant that proves to be a very important word moving forward. Mm. So... Covenant isn't a word that we frequently use in our society. Uh, it, it seems like the horror movies have sort of co-opted that mm-hmm. word to use it in these like strange, spiritual, ritualistic ways yeah. or something. But um, th- th- that's actually bizarre. <laughs> but covenant is this uh, sort of committed, promised, relational. You might say it's contractual, but but that might lead you too much towards a business-minded type of, of promise. It's uh, it's a promise and commitment back and forth to each other in a yeah. relational way. And you can have conditional covenants. Um, if these things happen, right. then I will do these things in return. You can have unconditional covenants where God would unconditionally make a promise yeah. that no matter what happens, he will be this type of God. He will relate to his people in this kind of way. But, but this becomes the first use of this word in the Bible so that we say, oh, 
We're seeing something about how God intends to relate to humanity. A God of promises, a God of commitments, who uh, commits himself in certain ways and who we are going to know is going to expect certain commitments from us in return. Yeah, there's like a couple covenants that I think for me have really helped me sort out what this sort of thing is. So Mm -hmm. uh, in my own life, you know, getting married, I'm making a covenant between myself, my wife, before the Lord. And God is like making two people one, right? Whatever happens to me happens to her. Whatever happens to her happens to me. This is so why why is that not a contract? Why is that a covenant? Yeah, so like I think the main difference between contract and covenant is uh, that what Josh has said, it's not between a person and a thing. The the desire is not for two people to come together and to have something, but for two people to have one another. Mm. It's relational, not thing based. Mm. The other thing is that a contract, like once you break the contract, you're gone. It's over. Yeah. Right? Uh, Josh mentioned, and you can read the end of Deuteronomy, there's just like a list of blessings and curses yeah. if the people follow or do not follow the stipulations of the covenant. So even in that, it's like we are tied together until the end right there there is no getting rid of this thing and so i think marriage is very much like this um and it's an amazing reminder for me of the relational depth that we can have with the lord because of his new covenant with us Mm -hmm. in christ Mm -hmm. that he gives to us the body and the blood of jesus we partake of that in communion this new covenant meal uh it's so relational and it's, it's uh, so committed to us, right? And so we can commit ourselves back to him. We also have things like church covenants where we as members covenant together for the sake of God's mission. We recognize that God has called us here at Emmanuel to do a particular thing, to live a certain way, to accomplish a certain vision, uh, to do that according to certain values even. And so we come together around a statement of faith and a membership covenant And we say that we are covenanting together to accomplish these tasks. And so part of that covenant is to say that we're not going to do some things that would actually be to the shame of Christ and his church. Mm, And that we are going to do some things that are going to be for the like mutual benefit of his people as we seek to achieve that end. As as I just right now, I'm thinking about the difference between a contract and a covenant. it dawns on me that often when we use the word contract and we think of it, you're signing a contract with the expectation of what you're going to get out of it. Yeah. It's self-serving. Yeah. Uh, but a covenant, as you think of that, is self-giving. Yeah. Yeah. You enter in to say, I'm going to give these things. And yes, there will be things I receive in return and I expect. It's a mutual self-giving instead of a sort of a, a, a mutual self-interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, and, and so I don't want to put too fine of a point on it, but that is how we tend to use and understand yeah. those words oftentimes. And if that's a fair distinction, then it would be a very important one. Yeah. I would encourage anybody who's listening right now who's thinking I need to learn more about covenants, if you want to, uh, there's something called a Suzerian Vassal Treaty. Suzerian Vassal Treaty. Uh, you can just Google that and you'll see the the layout of that, and then read the book of Deuteronomy, which is laid out like a Suzerian vassal treaty. Hmm. So if you're interested in covenants, this is sort of like a way to go deeper. Hmm. And specifically, if you want to have scripture references for the other covenants in the Bible, dig these out at home. So Genesis 9 verse 7 is the Noahic covenant. Mm -hmm. Uh, God's covenant to Abraham, Genesis 12. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then to Moses, Exodus 19. 
And then to David, again, God reiterates very similar language of covenant to David in 2 Samuel 7, 12 yeah. to 16. Hmm. And then you got to look at Christ because yeah. he's the fulfillment yeah. of that covenant. And, and isn't it sweet? Who establishes the new covenant, the new covenant. in his blood, yeah. which we then celebrate and remember and worship him for every time we do the Lord's table. Yeah. So, yeah. And just like Noah's covenant has a sign of the rainbow, and just like Abraham's covenant in chapter 15 of Genesis has the sign of circumcision, yeah. the sign of the new covenant is baptism. Water. Yeah. It all ties back together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for tuning in today. Uh, again, if you want to look at more episodes, they should be right here next to this on the website or on social media. And we will see you next time. God bless.